connected to the land with Four Rivers Equipment and John Deere. Welcome to the Four Rivers Podcast. We are your working partner, and we mean it. I'm Fred Eichler, and today I am here with Brett Arnish, and I'm pretty excited because before we even got together, I met you at my son's fraternity, AGR, which you were president of, right? Right, right. And uh, Jeb's like, oh, you're going to love Arnie. And I'm like, is it Brett or is it Arnie? And he's like, well, it's Bart Arnish, but he goes by Arnie. So right off the bat, you've got a really cool farming history in your family, and I want you to talk about it. I want people to learn a little bit from this podcast as well. Uh, but really, your family, since just after World War II, has been farming. You have farming in your blood and your in your family for quite a while now. Right, right. Yeah, my uh, my great grandparents immigrated here right after World War II. Um, my grandfather was actually uh, in the German side of World War II, but at the time, I mean, being a German citizen, you really didn't have a choice. Right, um, you were in. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, then my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, my great grandmother, my grandfather now, uh, and then my great uncle also. Uh, we were in a Russian concentration camp, and they ended up escaping from there, escaped to Hungary, and they were able to come over to the United States, um, being sponsored by a, a farmer in our area working in sugar beet fields. Um, that's he, how they made it to this area. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, pretty big shoes to fill. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty monumental. The the struggles that they'd have to go through, the struggles that we have now are nothing right in comparison but um they started working in a sugar beet field and, and they eventually made their way to where they could buy their own farm and that's where i farm today uh my personal farm is there today and and that's something that's very very special to me because it's deeply rooted in our family history uh but i'm i'm actually only a second generation american so our fam or our farming background is actually uh, uh relatively recent in the whole grand scheme but uh we're deeply, deeply rooted in agriculture, and that's something that, that we really cherish. Well, you should be proud of that. I think that's an awesome story. And it's also amazing, like you said, the struggles that people go through for their children and, uh, you know, help future generations have a better life, which you've taken advantage of, which is awesome. I'm pretty excited about that. But I, w I want to talk to you about all that. First, let's start off with, so you, my son calls you Arnie because right. you guys were in AGR, which is basically the ag fraternity at CSU. How did, your name's Brett. How'd you get the Arnie? Right. So uh, I actually started out uh, a little bit of a different path. I went to NJC out in Sterling, uh, Northeastern Junior College on a soccer scholarship. And uh, some things went in different directions. And my life chose to uh, take me to CSU. And I decided that I was going to fill out the transfer paperwork in April. And if anybody knows anything about CSU is that you do not try to find a uh, housing arrangement in April. Uh, you couldn't even find a cardboard box to live in. So uh, I decided to reach out to uh, AGR Alpha Gamma Rho, and they invited me in with open arms. And uh, the first day that I was there, I started moving all my stuff in, and, and uh, another guy named Brett looked me dead in the eyes and said, your name is no longer Brett, it is Arnie. Uh, we can't have two Bretts in the house. It's going to be too confusing. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm this, like, meek, mild, scared little sophomore, basically a freshman because I'm now at this enormous <laughs> university, and, he's, and I said, okay. <laughs> and so then it just stuck, and uh, I, I'm very happy with the nickname. Anybody and everybody can call me that, but, uh, yeah, it, it, 
wasn't really my choice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Most nicknames aren't. I won't tell you mine. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so sometimes they just they just stick with you. And what's fun to me is talking to the guys that do all kinds of different, you know, farming. And you guys sell different types of beer grains, which is fascinating to me. But besides that, and that's really where we're going to focus. But besides that, you've kind of started your own, you know, your own venture selling hay. Right. Which is kind of cool. So talk to me a little bit about that because I love that shows that entrepreneur spirit. You know, you're going from, you know, farming and, and doing grains and things like that with your father and, and your family. And you've also taken that a step further and said, you know what, I'm going to step step it out and, and go with, you know, Arnish, Arnish Hay and start doing my own thing. Tell me a little bit about that before we get into the beer grains, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in high school, uh, me and a really good friend would do a lot of uh, delivering of grass hay for a neighbor. And the common theme amongst every single customer that we delivered to was that they needed more. And, well, I could make more. So I decided, you know what, I'd like to get a baler. I started borrowing a tractor, and now I've purchased that tractor from my uncle. Uh, So I have my first line of equipment. I found my baler on Facebook. Uh, (laughs) The guy even delivered it to me. So it was a heck of a deal. But uh, decided that I was going to start making this hay and, and putting it up and see if I could maybe capitalize a little bit and make a little bit of money for myself. And and it has really taken off. Now I, I uh, have 400 acres, not all of hay. I got about uh, 60 right now of hay, planning for about another 65, maybe 70. Um, but I'm just really, really thrilled with uh, the opportunity that I was able to to start and and be able to farm that that ground that my great-grandparents farmed, you know, as I mentioned before. But it's just something really special to be able to, do what you love, you know. It, it's kind of crazy to say, but there's nothing like uh, baling hay at two, three in the morning when you're just exhausted. Maybe a couple beers in your hand, and I farm right next to the interstate, and you just see all the different cars driving by, and you think, you know, what's that person doing? And just seeing the sunrise, and it, it's just really, really special, and I, I really cherish that. See, and I love that, and it's a, it's a ton of work. Farming's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work, and and doing that, and it's. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I love that, that you're passionate about it. And I love that you took it out and did your own thing as well. Well, if somebody wants to buy some hay for you, before we get into some of the beer grains, where would they look you up? Where could they find you? If they want to get some good horse hay, because you're doing a lot of alfalfa, just straight alfalfa, dairy, and, uh, you know, horse, great feed, where yeah. would they go? Uh, you could find me on Facebook, Brett Arnish, uh, A-R-N-U-S-C-H, uh, or you could find us at our website, arnishfarms.com. Nice. So now let's talk about beer grains. I yeah. know... Nothing about beer grains, but I, I think you've got to share one funny story before we get into this, because this just made me laugh so hard. We were talking a little bit before the podcast started about, you know, if you told somebody that you sold wheat in here in Colorado, um, you know, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, uh, marijuana is legal. And so you had said that, uh, you know, sometimes you have to make sure you pronounce it correctly. You know, I'm a, <laughs> a, a wheat farmer, not a wheat. Wheat farmer. Wheat. So some people may think you have a speech impediment, but you're actually just making sure that they don't, they don't think you're saying weed, which cracked me up. But the best story I heard was when you and your dad were at, what, was it a convention? What were you yeah, at? Yeah, we were at uh, Colorado State's Water Symposium. It was uh, Waters in the West, I believe. And uh, we were talking about, you know, just the water plan for the future and, and how agriculture uses water and how uh, even Leprino Cheese Factory, how they're water uh, neutral and, and all these different things. And uh, my dad was given a presentation and he talked about the seed wheat that we grow. 
and uh, there was this lady doing a uh, uh, sketchboard of the whole presentation. And so we go back and we look at the end of the presentation on what the sketchboard looked like, and uh, there was a picture of seaweed. So we were uh, seaweed growers in Kingsburg, Colorado. So if anybody, any sushi uh, restaurants Want to pick up some seaweed uh, yes, instead of seed wheat? Yes, we are massive seaweed growers, actually. Not even seed wheat. So. <laughs> That's the best story ever. Did your dad just crack up, or was he like, wow. He kind of was like, what the heck? <laughs> What? I love it. I love it. And I love that you saw the I love that you saw the hystericalness of that. So how do you get into growing beer grains? Uh, you know, to, to tell me about how that how that happened for you guys and and you know, where you sell it, how do you you know, how do you do that? Is that contracted? There's a lot of people that are probably listening that may be super curious like I am how that even starts out. So start me from the beginning a little bit. How did you guys get into it? And I guess there's different types. Yeah, sure. Uh so Back before I was ever even born, we would grow Coors Barley. And that's been something that's been growing in the Eastern Plains for quite some time. I, I couldn't tell you exactly how long, but... No, for Coors, like, is that for, right? Is for, that like, Coors mean? Light, okay. like, Coors Banquet. Yeah, yeah for wow. Keystone, for Coors. Um, and we've... Our family segued away from that just because we needed a more sugar beet acres, maybe need some more silage acres. But now we started to transition back toward that direction because we can start adding value to our crop. Um we're very water limited out where we are and years like this, yes, the mountains may be snow packed, but we probably will still run out of water and on the ditch water, maybe in August. That's pretty hard to finish a corn crop when you run out of water in August. So we've started to move our farms direction and tilt our, our, our direction in a, in a way that we can start managing our water in a more efficient way. So, so we crops can, that are less water right, reliable, you know, or, or even alfalfa. Alfalfa is very, you know, it takes a lot of water, but if you don't have water, it'll go dormant. It won't burn up and die. Right. Because you know, there's nothing that makes you more sick than a chopping sawdust, you know, for cattle to eat, basically. So, um, but we we pivoted our, our farm in the direction of growing a lot of cereal grains, uh, barley, wheat. Um, and we actually got into the craft beer and distillery space by accident. Uh, we'd been growing a, a variety of wheat that was produced by Plains Gold, which is a CSU uh variety or a, a excuse me a, a breeding program and uh it had made the worst bread you've ever seen in your entire life and, <laughs> but we grew a heck of a lot of it because it had a great disease package it yielded very well it just fit nicely in our area what's a good yield uh, I, I don't mean to cut you off but i'm sure. curious as you're talking so i may jump in with some questions what's a good yield yield per acre so uh, it depends so if you're dry land i would say that a good yields anything above 30. Okay. I mean, I, that's pretty good. Uh, you can see anything even up to 70 if you get really good rains, but that's stretching it pretty hard. Um, and on irrigated, we want to be shooting for about 120. Um, luckily, my dad, fortunately, this is going to sound like I'm bragging, and I'm not. No, I, uh, um, that's but, why I, uh, I want Two years ago, uh, we were very, very fortunate to grow one heck of a wheat crop, and we had one particular variety that yielded 210 bushel, um, oh. and we actually got second in the nation. Holy chowder with everybody that's across the country. Yeah. We ended up losing, I, I believe, I might misspeak, but we lost to a guy maybe Washington State or Idaho, um, which they get so much rain up there. Right. We just were happy to be on the board. That's impressive. You know? And so we were very fortunate to be able to grow that much wheat. But, yeah, I mean, you could go up to 210. That was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it, But how did you transition from, from growing the grains to getting into the 
beer specifically. How, right. How did that happen? Right. So, like so it I made said, a bad, it, bad bread by accident. Made terrible bread. Uh, but CSU wanted to find something to do with this specific variety, and uh, we had a lot of it. I mean, I'm talking a lot of it. <laughs> and this malt house, uh, Troubadour Maltings, up in Fort Collins, really wanted this one specific variety, and so we said, "Hey, you know what? We have a ton. We'll sell you some." <laughs> So they decided that they would malt it and roast it, and then it made just the best beer you've ever had in your life. Nice. So not and good bread, but not great good, beer. But that's a, that's a very common theme. If it makes good bread, it makes bad beer and vice versa. I'll see you taught it's, me something right it's there. It's about like, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to misspeak. It's about gluten strands and strength and beta alkas, something, something. And, Whatever. You know, all the scientific. But uh, it tastes good. Right. It's like a gummy bear. I don't know what's in it, but it's friggin' delicious. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So so you guys started out in Colorado, being a big college town, CSU, Colorado State University, has a ton of breweries. So you guys yeah. just kind of dialed right in with one of those, and are you supplying them with all your grain now, or how does that work out? No, so we, we aren't uh, – and if you I know, ask 100%. anything too personal, feel free to no, be like, Fred, I can't, I can't share that. No, I can't divulge good. that information. You're good. Uh, we, we aren't specifically just growing beer grains. We were very diverse in our operation, but uh, w- we have two specific varieties that are being used uh, for beer, the wheat varieties that are used for beer, and then we have uh, three different barley varieties that are used for beer. Um, there's an intermediate between us and the brewery, okay. so it starts on our farm, and then there's a malt house in the middle. Okay. And a, a malt house steeps the grain, um, they roast the grain, they germ the grain, they kiln it. Um, frankly, it's a lot of magic to me. I don't understand it as much <laughs> as I probably should. Um, but that's where a lot of the flavor profile happens. The the protein strength and, and the fundamentals of the grain start on our farm. It moves to the malt house, uh, like Troubadour Mall things. Uh, and then it from there it goes to a brewery or a distillery. Uh, so the roast that you put on it adds a lot of different flavor to it. So you could have a light roast. It's just like coffee. Think about okay. coffee. Yep. You know, you got your light roast, which is, is you know, yeah. light is like a glazed donut. And then you have a your dark roast, which is like dark, dark black. Did you think donuts because I have like a dozen sitting in front of me? Well, yeah, it's a pretty Are you easy making fun of me? representation, like, yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> but so we worked with this Jupiter malting initially. Okay. And we still do, uh, but we started to grow into a bunch of different spaces. We're in, I believe, four or five different malt houses uh, from Troubadour, Root Shoots, um, Wyoming Maltings, uh, but then their products are spread across the nation. Um, you know, different breweries uh, that we're in that I know of is Horse and Dragon, which is, they're not small by any means, but they're more uh, cool name. specialty, of course. Right, Horse and Dragon? That's yeah, Tim cool. and Carol up in Fort Collins are the coolest people you ever meet. Really? That's um, awesome. But no, Oscar Blues, out. New Belgium, Great Divide, Wiley Roots, um, we're all across the nation. And, and even I was gifted some whiskey uh, for my uh, Christmas present from my mother-in-law, soon-to-be mother-in-law, and uh, the barley that was roasted in the uh, whiskey itself started on our farm. Wow. And it came from California. Is that some of what you brought me? Uh, not that. That's okay. something that we're in as well. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah. All right. I was just making sure you didn't re-gift like a fruitcake or something at Christmas. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that was a legit. Well, it just gets better with gift. age. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like a, like a fruitcake. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so do you guys contract that? Just out of curiosity, and, and I'm not trying to be too nosy, but no, no. On, on a lot of that beer grain, is that a – 
do you guys contract or set a price ahead of time, in other words, or is it a just as the market fluctuates, you get whatever the you know market's going to get? Yeah, uh, it's it's a set price uh, because it's a value added, and it's nothing that you know is too astronomical. But it's it's not just a commodity. Okay. You know, I think that that's a big misconception when people just talk about beer grains in general or whiskey grains in general. They think of a commodity, but they're not a commodity. You know, we think of wheat in bushels. You know, sixty pound bushels as much as we can possibly make. Good. You know, that means the farm might be profitable this year. But with beer grains, it's a lot different. You have to hit certain criteria to be able to make the beer that they're looking for or the malt that the breweries are looking for. And we think of everything in pounds rather than in bushels because it's so small batch. Interesting. Okay. You know, we, we might in any given year deliver, oh, 100,000 pounds at the most. You know, so it's it's very small in the grand scheme of things. Um in comparison to, you know, like a dry land field where you, you might make a 100,000 <laughs> bushel, you know. So it, it's a lot different. But it's unique that we can take a variety that was practically extinct. I mean, it should have just been phased out. Uh, and we actually grow another variety that's an ancient grain. And it's just been added to a slow food list. So a, contrary to fast food, it's called slow food. I believe it's a group out of France. That's probably wrong, but maybe France. <laughs> um, and they have added it. It's called Sonora White Wheat, and it's actually originally out of Arizona. And uh, we brought it to Colorado because it, it has a very uh, immense flavor profile that distilleries r- really, really enjoy. So, And you say an ancient grain. Now, is that uh, what I'm thinking? Like it's just been around forever and it you know hasn't been tweaked genetically? Or explain to me what you mean by an ancient grain. Sure. To to my understanding, that is what I believe. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Um, they say, they say, air quotes, everybody yeah, listening. They, they got it. <laughs> uh, that it is one of the original wheats. I'm not saying this is something that Norman Borlaug created, <laughs> but it it's a it's like a, indigenous people type. It, it could be. Yeah. yeah. It, one of the original wheats that they call it, just an ancient grain. So it's just been around forever. It is susceptible to anything and everything you can possibly imagine, but it makes great whiskey and makes great beer. Huh. <laughs> per- <laughs> perfect. <laughs> now, is that is that something that requires a lot of water? Or do the different grains, do you find certain varieties require a lot more water than others? Or like would the ancient one be one that would be more, wouldn't require as much water? I'm just curious. Uh, that's a little hard to say. I would say that, uh, as I said before, cereal grains require a lot less water than like a corn crop, for example. And I don't think we can quantify exactly a specific number of inches of water that they would take. Um, but so far, what we've learned is that the more water, the better, of course, right? right. That's with anything, but... Are you Excuse dry me, grounding any of that, or is that all irrigated? We do have some on dry ground just because we just don't have the acre uh, allottage for, for everything that we need to create. Right. And do you do okay on the non-irrigated stuff, too? A lot of it just depends on rainfall? Or? Right. Right. You know, this year we've been pretty pretty happy with the amount of rainfall that we've got so far. Um, but there's been years before where that crop has definitely suffered from that. And then that changes the way that your, your drink's going to taste. You know, but we are trying to work with the malt house and trying to work with the different breweries to think of it as like vintages. You know, you, you think of like wine grapes, right. you know, the, Oh, the 1947 wine grape. I like how you so changed your voice there. That yeah. Was very you know, nice. That's my eloquent no, it was, voice. That's it was, my, I liked I'm your wine voice too. Voice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, 
they all taste different. Maybe it was because of fire. Maybe it was lack of water. Maybe it was uh, a flood. Who knows? Uh, they're all going to taste slightly different, and it reflects the the environment that they were grown in. And, and that's kind of the direction that we're headed with these specific varieties, not because it, you know, is easier for us, but because that's just Mother Nature. Interesting. Now, if I'm driving down the highway and I look over, how would I tell the difference between beer grains and regular grains, or would I not be able to? Or can you? Uh, I mean, what's, you know, if somebody's driving down the road, it's like, oh, cool. Frankly, I don't think you could. Yeah. Uh, I mean, barley and wheat, of course, look a lot different, and I would have a hunch that if barley was being grown, it would be being grown for uh, beer of some sort, maybe Coors, maybe uh, Budweiser, maybe even a craft group. Um, but with wheat, you know, it would be practically impossible, you know, driving 60 miles an hour to say, oh, yeah, that that's going to Dryland Distillers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's fair. I was, I was just curious if people could look out and, and see it. So, kind of cool how you guys got started in the industry. How, what's your competition like? Like, is there is everybody and their brother trying to compete with you and get into these, you know, different breweries or sell to the malt houses, I believe you said. Right, right. So, our, our competition, in my opinion, still believes of, of craft grains as a commodity. Uh, they basically fill a, a rail car full of them and ship them out and hope for the best, which doesn't hone in on craft, in my opinion. Um, the efforts that we put into growing a top-notch craft grain are far, far beyond what you're just going to grow a typical commodity, hard red winter wheat, you know. So the competition, then you're, you're, you guys are making an extra effort to make a specific type more with those guys in mind right? just throwing it at them and going, here's some grain. Right, and, and I don't want to, you know, downplay the competition. What they're doing is tremendous, but they're doing it at such a large scale, and because we're a, a smaller farm in comparison, that we can really exert a lot more efforts toward growing what the brewer or the monster wants. Uh, we had the pleasure of having Tim, the master brewer, from uh, Oscar Blues out, and he told us really what he's looking for in a grain. Not demanding what he wants in a grain, but what he's looking for. And, again, it's like they're speaking in tongues to me, <laughs> but we're under, we're able to understand and work the equation backwards, you know? All right. So we need to get to four. How do we get to four? All right. Well, we can do two and two. We can do one and three, you know, let's get to four. So instead of doing, well, two plus two is always equal to four on our farm. Let's just keep doing that. We decided to work our, our equation backwards. And then that has really changed the outlook on what our entire farm looks like to, keep the end user in mind rather than us just you know grow a crop see that's incredible that that's it seems there's a common theme with successful farmers you know being ranchers that are willing to adapt make changes yeah and sometimes on the fly i mean you guys adjusted kind of your operation to start doing more of this almost like you branched off on your own as well and having your own spinoff where you saw right. a need you know and you fulfilled the need a lot of people needed alfalfa um so where else do you send your grain to out of curiosity? I mean, you mentioned a few of them, but I mean, is, would you say the, you know, the breweries or the malt houses are is the larger part of your operation or is it split up? I would say the largest uh, quantity part of our operation is the seed crop that we send. Uh, the seed crop is going then for the future 
crop that will be grown for the distillery or, or the brewery or the malt house, whatever. Um, we've sent seed from Maine to California, from Washington State to South Africa. So, I mean, we've we've sent grain a lot uh, all across the North America and one part of another continent. So, um, but... How do you That's, handle? How do you handle shipping? I mean, who who handles that for you? Do you guys do that uh, in house? Like Limagrain uh, cereal seeds did. Oh, that's <laughs> did, awesome. Uh, the breeder out of Fort Collins handled all that. We just did the growing for him. But awesome. Um, yeah, I would say that that's the majority of of the quantity. Um, but for you know, like the listeners, we were in you know Dryland Distillers. We're in Snitching Lady Distillery, which is the highest uh, distillery in. The nation, not highest Colorado, highest, but <laughs> highest as in it's in South, Elevation. <laughs> it's in South Park, Colorado, or Fair Play, Colorado. So it's it's the highest distillery in the nation. Uh, the Block Distillery in the Rhino District. We're in uh, some whiskeys with them. Uh, like I mentioned, Oscar Blues, New Belgium, Great Divide, um, Odell's, Horse and Dragon. I mean, we we're, Odell's. You yeah. guys have so that's so neat. Yeah. I, I mean, I know a well, lot of the ones that you just Corona. ran off. No kidding. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, so it, it's, frankly, it, these are my dad's words, not mine, but it's a cherry on top of a career, you know, that we're able to look at that glass of whiskey or, or that bottle of beer and know that, you know what, that started on our farm rather than, I don't know, look at a gallon of milk and be like, well, we may have fed that dairy cow or right. uh, look at a loaf of bread and said, you know, our commodity could be in this. We know for a 100% fact that started on our farm, and that is – Super duper cool. That is. That's really neat. Yeah. yeah. That'd be a great pickup line in a bar, too. I mean, I know oh, you're engaged now, but, yeah, that's uh, that's my weed in there. That's my grain in that beer that you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that is. That's fascinating. When you brought up Dairy Cow, I don't know if Jeb, my son, because you guys are buddies, I don't know if he told you we have a we have a milk cow now. And the kids all love it when I add stuff because they're like, oh, that's more work for us, isn't it? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. You just got to milk a cow every morning at six. <laughs> so it's like, not even that hard. Yeah, yeah right. Just I'm get like, big forearms. Yeah, it's awesome. So, and I love <laughs> I love fresh milk. So that's, that is that is neat, though. Like you said, that was a good analogy on we know that that started, that started here. Um, Equipment-wise, are you guys – you know, heavily laden equipment. I mean, would you say comparatively to some other crops, um, grains is super equipment laden? Do you need a lot of specialized equipment? No, I would say anybody that can grow wheat or, or barley, that same equipment, right? I mean, you're going to have a drill, maybe an air seeder to put it in the ground, uh, some way to get water on it, a sprayer to maintain it. Uh, you could also hire that out, of course, but right. and then just a combine. Yep. You don't need anything, you know, specialized. It's just the next step that you would take would be the cleanliness of your things because right. you don't want to uh, dilute the the quality of the grain that you're producing. You know, you have product X. You don't want it to be product X, Y, Z. So you just want to keep it pure. Right. And what? Do you, how do you do that? Uh, just trying to segregate uh, the different varieties, you know, making sure everything is clean, flushed out, um, stored very much separately. Uh, we're lucky enough on our farm to have uh, a slew of grain bins, and so we're able to keep everything, you know, sectioned by itself. There's no cross-contamination. Uh, we're just very fortunate to be able to have the infrastructure for that. Right, and then cleaning out all the equipment, like you said. Right. I mean, that's got to be something just to make sure you're not crossing over. And, yeah, if anybody you know, has a really easy way to clean a combine, I would 
gladly take a phone call. Okay. They know where to reach you. On that. That's awesome. So what's your favorite piece of equipment, John Deere equipment? Do you have a favorite? I love asking this question because I've heard it range from mowers to, to you know, huge combines or whatever, you know what I mean, balers, a little bit of everything. Do you have one that, you know, growing up on the farm and, and your family being in it, is there a piece of equipment like Jeb, you know, my boys learned an old 4020. That's how they learned to drive a stick shift vehicle. Yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, we could drive the Jeep because we learned on a farm, you know, learned on the tractor. What Do you have a – is there one that you go, man, that's probably my favorite piece of equipment? Well, uh, can I have uh, like two or three? Oh, my gosh. That is so fun. Everybody does that. <laughs> they want, I can't pigeonhole – I can't pigeonhole anybody into one. They all want to pick a couple. But, yes, go ahead. Give me your top – give me your top three. I need four. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're well, I'm going to have it be a tie between uh, my grandpa's 3020, open cab 3020, uh, great tractor. Now it's just like a mower tractor for us or an auger tractor for us, but that's the first tractor that I learned how to drive, so it has a special memory to me. Uh, that or a 4020. Uh, my dad grew a lot of onions back in the day, and that would be the cultivating tractor that we had, and that's another tractor that I, I spent tons and tons and tons of hours in so those two have a special special place in my heart um but i would then the other two pieces of equipment that i love is uh 4450 uh it's my dad's first tractor and is my first tractor the power shift on it is the greatest thing in the world you know you're bailing small bales you don't have to you know shift out of range <laughs> shift in a new range figure out you're going too fast shift out of range <laughs> shift in a new range you know you just tap it up i love that tractor and then a, a swather i love swathing hay nice yeah so i mean you want me to name of the rest of the equipment? No, no, that's good. I, that's that. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted the top couple, but it, it's so funny to me because a lot of people that have, you know, and all the people that have farmed understand or even run equipment. It's one of the few things that you can look behind you and see that you've done something. You know what I mean? You know, there's so many things that you do in life that you, you know, you may see it ten years down the road or five years down the road or you know, you may not ever see it. You know what I mean? As far as something tangible, but when you're on a piece of equipment and you can look behind you and see a you know, freshly plowed field or, you know, or you plant yeah. or it starts to come up or whatever it is or swathing, you know, wow, look at that. I just did that. And I think that's to me, one of the rewarding, rewarding things about farming. And I think that's really neat. And I don't have a fraction of the experience you do. And I, I think it's neat. You said that. What do you think your dad's favorite one would be? Without a doubt, his 4450. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. He, uh, once upon a time traded it in to getting a new tractor and uh, he bought it back from Alan. Like, like that quick. He's like, Alan, I can't do it. I want it back. <laughs> I can bring it now back it's like, me. okay, All I right. guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do that. How, <laughs> how important is a connection with somebody like Four Rivers? You know, how much has Four Rivers helped you guys out as far as, you know, having, you know, their tagline, working partner? Um, you know, and I, I tease them sometimes about it, but it's but it's true. I mean, they we had a, you know, an O-ring go out the other day, and we had a hydraulic leak, and I'm like, can somebody come out here, please, quickly, because <laughs> we've got an issue here. How's that helped you guys out in your operation? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll answer that initially with a story. Why oh. we decided, my family started to go with John Deere. My grandfather worked with a different manufacturer, and uh, he was trying to get a brand new tractor. And it just took him forever. And he went in and said, hey, I need this tractor. You know, I've already paid for it. And they said, well, it's not here yet. We're sorry. He said, well, it's getting a little late. So he walked into the John Deere dealer that used to be in Kingsburg and said, I need that tractor right there. And they said, well... That one's already sold, but we can put you on a list. And he said, okay, because I need a tractor. And right now I don't have one. He already traded the in, one in to get the other brand. And uh, they called him the next day and said, hey, 
the guy uh, didn't pay for the tractor fully, and it's yours if you want it. So he drove it home. And, and so that's how he got tied in with John Deere. That's the reason why we're uh, we're a John Deere family. And, and the reason why I tell that story is because it's about service. You know, I would say that the equipment line is phenomenal, but it's the service that makes it so valuable. And and that's something that we're very special to have with Four Rivers. You know, just being just a shot up the Kersey cutoff on 49, it's very, very convenient for us to be able to have such a good partner like Four Rivers. Yeah, it's a lifesaver when somebody, when you see that truck coming in, <laughs> if you do have a breakdown, whether it's something that you caused or just from a yeah. piece of equipment, you know, it happens. Have somebody come out there is is, is pretty huge. So w- what are you guys doing in the future? I guess you, you, you talked about onions. You've talked about wheat. You've talked about grain. You guys have grown a lot and of stuff seaweed, over the years. Oh, well, seaweed, that's <laughs> still one of the funniest stories I've heard. Seaweed. But, you know, talk to me a little bit as you guys look forward to the future. And I think it's great, and I'm sure your dad's really proud to have you coming in, you know what I mean, and, and kind of taking over the business, you know, and, and, and starting to work with him. What do you see for the future? Are you going to try and branch into other things? Can you share that with us? You know, you know, how do you make those plans for the future? Yeah, it's it's hard to try to project on where we're going to be in 10 years. So that that's a very challenging question, and our farm has fortunately been able to pivot about every five, seven or so. And, and so I think we're kind of time and primed up for another pivot. And in what direction, I'm not 100% sure. But um, where, we're our, where we are in Prospect Valley and in Kingsburg is just a very fortunate area. You know, we have uh, water for wells. Uh, we have ditch water that we'd be able to use. But we're using that as efficiently as we can. And, and I think that we're going to start transitioning into that area more. But the, the one thing that pops up in my mind the biggest is uh, barley. Uh, we're having a... Um, Big discussion right now with Rog and Elevator. Uh, they want to uh, have more and more barley um, to their area. So we're trying to produce more and more seed. Uh, for, for barley, uh, for what reason, I'm not 100% sure. But we're trying to produce more and more seed so that we can satisfy that need that they're looking for. Um, so if you were to tell me right now, the next couple of years, I think we'll be going a lot more barley, which fits right into our forte. You know, limited water supply, being able to, you know, keep things wet and, and grow a good crop so uh right now i would say barley but 10 years from now i mean gosh i don't know yeah who knows depends on what the market does yeah no good 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 answer one other question i have for you is on the water you guys use pivots you guys are using ditch water are you tarping stuff are you running it through gated pipe you know what's the majority how, how do you guys get the water to your crops in the majority of the area yeah we're all over the board everything but drip tape so we have siphon tubes which jeb has helped me set siphon tubes you know nice uh Maybe he's not the greatest siphon tube setter, but right. he can. Yeah, but, uh, but, he, but he knows. <laughs> uh, we got gated pipe. We have pivots. Um, we even have, like, alfalfa risers in some areas. So uh, we're all over the board. Drip tape just in our area is not super uh, efficient. We have a large rodent problem. Yeah, the, those little and gophers get yeah. in there and tear it up. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of work. So we, yeah. don't, we don't mess around with drip tape, but um, we use sprinklers like you wouldn't believe. So more and more sprinklers we can have, the better. You know, I mean, I just turned one around on my phone with AgSense. So, yep. so you're running to, holding, holding ponds or risers, or what are you doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if it's not tied up to a well, we'll just have a, a holding pond for Holding it. pond and running yep. it out of that. You know, it, it's pretty fascinating. Is there anything else? Because, again, this is something that I don't know anything about, and I love talking to you about it because it's kind of opening my eyes to a whole different type of farming. Um, anybody that's listening, is there anything else that you think would be interesting to them to know about your operation because I find it fascinating and I think it's pretty neat the next time I uh, 
drink a beer. I'm going to make it a brand that you guys have probably supplied something yeah, for because absolutely. I think that's a really neat, that's neat. Yeah, I would say that the, you know, I mentioned the cherry on the top of my dad's career, right? The the uh, ability to look at a beer or a, a whiskey and, and say, you know what, my product's in that. But the cherry on top of the beginning of my career, I would say, is a beer or, or a glass of whiskey is a great opportunity for agriculture and our urban cousins to harmonize together and and enjoy something and talk about what we do in agriculture. You know, too often I think that there's uh, too many misconceptions about what we do in ag. And I believe that having something that we can both enjoy and, and sit down at a bar and, you know, be no different than each other is, is something very special that we can really start a conversation over. And, and I, I really appreciate that because it, it's an easy conversation to have with the person and say, hey, you know what, uh, that beer that you're drinking right there, we're actually the farmers for it. Boom, there's the conversation started, and you never know. You might meet a, a new friend, and they can really learn something about what we do in agriculture. Well, and then hopefully vote that way, you know what I mean, as, right. as you know, politics play a bigger and bigger part in, you know, farming and, and cattle. And as we move farther and farther away from rural America, a lot of people don't understand that. So mm-hmm. I think that's a I think that's a great, great point you made. And yeah. Thank you so much, Arnie. I've I've had a blast. Uh, yeah, thank I, you. I've, I've I've learned some stuff, and it's great to sit down with you because, like I said, my son thinks a lot of you, and it's been fun sitting down and having a chance to learn a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it.